Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come again to your word that you would feed us. Father, that our minds would have the focus that your glory and your written word deserve. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Father, I pray that we would not just be hearers, but that we would hear and do what your word requires. That we would hear and believe what your word requires. Father, we pray that you would be with us, illumine our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray this in his name. Amen. Be seated. The Apostle Paul's great concern is for the ongoing uh, strength and growth of the bride of Christ, the church. And we see that particularly in these these books, First and Second Timothy, that his concern is the growth, the strengthening, the ongoing, um, the ongoing uh, maturity of the bride of Christ. Because of the calling he received from Jesus Christ himself, this is really Paul's reason for being. I mean, that God, is, God has given him this vocation, this calling, this intense um, desire within himself also to be doing this work. So this is this is this is Paul. The, he's the the apostle of the the strength of the the churches among the Gentiles. As he wrote this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he is sitting in prison awaiting execution by Nero. Our passage makes mention of the, that solemn fact again. I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. Right? He's not. He's being viewed by the culture not as um, not as a godly man, but as a disruptor, right? As a criminal, common criminal. Just prior to this morning's passage, you'll remember that the apostle urged Timothy to take what he had received and pass it on to the next generation of church elders and pastors. The education of our pastors and elders is to be by apprenticeship uh, and, and by the passing of the, church, ch- the torch within the church, right? It is to be um, pastors to train pastors and for 
um, one generation to invest in the next so that they come up and, and uh, have a zeal for the church. Now the Apostle Paul continues with these exhortations to Timothy and in strengthening Timothy for the difficult task of church planning and pastoring, Paul reminds him of some fundamental truths. First, Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel. Now, was, was Timothy in danger of forgetting Jesus Christ? Uh, the very reason that he was assisting the Apostle Paul was Jesus Christ. Um, others had. Others had ter- um, deserted and forgotten Jesus Christ, right? That was one of the points of previous weeks. Demas had turned his back on Christ, and he had done so out of a, out of a love for the world, right? He, he was so impacted by the covers of glossy magazines that he thought that would be better than Jesus, so to speak, right? The, um, Paul earlier wrote, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are fugilists and hermogenes. The particular, those particular men, you remember, may have been elders at the church in Ephesus, And they turned away from God's apostle. So in urging Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, he's urging him to stay the course, right? To not turn away as many others are doing at this point in the ministry of the apostle Paul. There are many who are forgetting Jesus Christ. And because of that, Paul feels obligated to urge Timothy not to do the same. Don't forget Jesus. It's a very... Just ground-level, basic exhortation. The sort of exhortation you just, if someone said to you, you'd be like, duh, I mean. But Paul knows the temptations that war in us, doesn't he? Paul knows our weakness. He does not assume the best of Timothy, right? At least as far as his remaining sin. Paul, Paul is a realist when it comes to the sin which so easily entangles us. And proof of this is that he's willing to exhort the man who he perhaps trusts more than any, anybody else on the earth with this basic remember Jesus. He knows it's necessary to fight the good fight and to persevere and that that takes effort even for the man who, as it says later in this book, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy has known known Jesus Christ from a young age, right? And here, yet, the Apostle Paul is, remember, Jesus Christ. All of us, no matter how assured we are of our salvation, currently need simple exhortations to remember Jesus Christ. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil are all doing their best to make us forget, aren't they? To make us simply forget about Jesus, to not have him in our thoughts, to not, to not bow in worship, to not raise up prayers. All of, I mean, you all struggle with that, right? And that is the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to get you to put Jesus Christ, fundamentally just put him out of your minds. 
And it's a constant temptation for us, and it's a constant temptation for Timothy, and it was a constant temptation, no doubt, for the Apostle Paul. So, the, so Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the message that the apostles have been preaching since they regrouped after scattering after the uh, crucifixion, right? Peter in Acts 2 says, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You, so, so when you remember Jesus Christ, are you remembering him as the one who, who rose from the dead? Or are you just approaching him as you would uh, a microwave, right? Put something in. You need heat. Microwave's going to give me some heat. Jesus is going to give me this and that. Or do you remember him as the one who rose from the dead? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has put an end to the agony of death. So it says in Acts 2, right? Many of us have seen loved ones die, and there was agony in their dying days, right? But that is not the agony that Jesus has put an end to. That physical agony may be the future for for many of us, and, and indeed for most of us. More importantly, though, Jesus Christ has rescued his people from the agony of eternal punishment for their sins. God is justly displeased with our sins. And outside of Christ would happily and necessarily bring his wrath down upon our shoulders because he is holy. And to be perfectly holy means to have a perfect and utter hatred for sin. Ephesians 2 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath. Just by virtue of being born, we were children of wrath. Even as the rest. And then the passage wonderfully goes on from there with the good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Death has indeed lost its sting when we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Death has lost its sting. There may be agony and you're dying, but death has lost its sting. But do not forget what came before Christ's resurrection. What came before Christ's resurrection was great suffering. Right? Before he was seated to the right hand of the Father in glory, he suffered. Paul also writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Why does he emphasize this fact at this point, that Jesus Christ was the descendant of David? Well, because this is the gospel that Paul has been preaching. 
That's the gospel that Paul has been preaching. He went around from city to city, you know, convincing people that Jesus was the promised one, that he was the Messiah. 2 Samuel 7 says, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. An everlasting throne. Jesus Christ is the one who had been promised to Solomon at the dedication of the temple. Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah who fulfilled all of God's promises, and yet he was a sufferer. He was a suffering servant, wasn't he? Though he was the Son of God, though he was the promised Messiah, his path to redeeming you and me lay through much suffering. This is my gospel, says Paul. Timothy, remember these things. Don't turn away and allow your mind to wander off to vain philosophies. Remember these things. Jesus rose from the dead and he was the promised Messiah. As Christ went through great suffering, so his servant Paul has gone. Right? We all agree with that, that Paul went through much suffering. He says... He says even here in this passage, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. And for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. He's enduring. right? He's having to endure suffering for the sake of the chosen. This is having the mind of Christ, isn't it? having the mind of Christ to endure suffering yourself for the sake of others. Right? Just as Christ was treated as a criminal, just as Christ endured all things, including his incarnation, his birth uh, of a woman living under the law, the ridicule and humiliation of, uh, by the Romans, eventually his crucifixion and death, all those things he suffered so that the elect might be saved. So the Apostle Paul has done in serving the church and preaching that one gospel. The path of gospel faithfulness lies through suffering. It just does. There's so many passages that teach us this. And all the examples of all the saints and prophets show us that the path of gospel faithfulness is through suffering. As Christ went, so Paul went, and so Paul urges Timothy to go, and so we are also to go also. So faithfulness to Christ means suffering. Do you agree with that? Do you experience that? Do you know that to be true, that faithfulness to Christ means suffering? Or do you expect in some sort of reformed prosperity gospel, reform, prosperity, expectation, that your life will be a flowery bed of ease, right? Do you expect that you deserve some ease? You just deserve some plain, simple ease, some plain worldly ease, good food and rest and vacation and, and money. Is, is that where you look for rest? Or do you have it... Uh, in Jesus Christ, do you have, do you have that that peace in Jesus Christ and the knowledge 
in this knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he has risen from the dead, that the agony of death has ended, and that your sins have been forgiven in him. I mean, is that truly where your mind rests? Or is it only in the goods of the world and in the, 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 you know, the firmness of the mattress on your, in your bedroom? Or the, the cup of coffee or three in the morning? That you have is that where your peace rests, or is it truly in contemplating the forgiveness of sins that you have in Jesus Christ? Forgiveness of sins before a God who hates sin. Jesus Christ stood between you and a wrathful Father. Is that your peace? Do you should um, do you have that knowledge of Jesus Christ? Should that not allow you to endure hardship? Right? Should that not allow you, that knowledge of the forgiveness of sins, allow you to endure all kinds of hardship, knowing that we have an eternal Sabbath coming? Right? That Jesus would tell us, no, 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 you can't just, you can't just lust for someone of the same sex. That Jesus tells us, no, no, that you can't make an idol of money. That Jesus says, no, no, you can't gossip. And all of that comes with a certain amount of suffering, right? Obedience comes with that sort of suffering. But in light of what Jesus has done for us, forgiven our sins, shouldn't we be able to do that? Suffer, suffer. We should be able to suffer the sort of suffering that comes by denying ourselves because of what lies ahead, because of what has been promised, because of what has already been transacted by Jesus Christ for us. Paul has said this to Timothy. Look back at verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship with me. Be a good soldier, right? Mothers, mothers of the congregation, are you willing to suffer hardship so that your children may be blessed? Right? Are you, are you willing to suffer the monotony of motherhood and training your children and disciplining them so that they might know Jesus Christ? That's what you're doing in that suffering. Husbands, are you willing to suffer hardship so that your wife may be blessed? Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to deny, um, deny 18 holes so that you can... You can Pray and minister to and be with your family. Right? Um, officers of the church, are you willing to suffer hardship so that your church may be blessed? Are you willing to come to meetings and to stay late and to miss your, chil- your own children's birthday parties so that you might um, engage in the, the ministry of the church? Are you willing to... Um, are you willing to, to have to remember an entire flock in your prayers and not just yourself? Right? All that goes along with that. And, and to suffer gladly, well, to do it, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Oh, you've got hard things ahead. We've all got hard things ahead, but like Pilgrim in, in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you no longer have the weight of that sin on your shoulders that you have to drag along with you all the time, right? That frees you up to suffer in this, 
in this life with a certain kind of lightness. We can suffer lightly the things that we're going through. Um, Here's that passage in, in Pilgrim's Progress, which I love. Now I saw in my dream that the highway along which Christian was to proceed was fenced in on both sides with a wall, and that wall was called salvation. Therefore, burdened, Christian ran up this way, though not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. You remember, Christian, the whole first part of the book has this this load on his, his back which represents the guilt of sin. And it's just sitting on him, making all of his, his suffering that much more suffering. And all of his suffering, you know, all, just the constant reminder of it. Therefore, burdened, Christian ran up this way, though not without great tif- difficulty because of the load on his back. So he ran in this direction until he came to a place where the way ascended up a small hill. And at the top stood a cross, while below it was a sepulcher, stone tomb. So I saw in my dream... That just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden fell from his back. Then it continued to tumble down the hill until it fell into the mouth of the sepulcher and was seen no more. At this, Christian felt glad and overjoyed, and in his excitement he exclaimed, He has given me rest by means of his sorrow and life by means of his death. Rest and life. Then he stood still for a while to look with wonder and amazement, for it was so surprising to him that the sight of the cross cross, should accomplish the release of his burden. Therefore he looked again and again, even until inward springs of water flowed down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones, three angels, approached and saluted him with the benediction, let peace be upon you. So the first shining one said to him, your sins have been forgiven. The second stripped Christian of his rags and clothed them with a complete change of garment. The third also set a mark on his forehead and gave him a scroll with a seal on it, which he directed should be looked at as he ran and handed in upon arrival at the gate of the celestial city. So the messengers went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. And then it lists, it lists his song. Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could anyone ease the grief that I was in until I came here. What a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall off my back. Must here the cords that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher. Blessed rather be the man that there was to put to shame for me. Right, But of course, you've read... Hopefully you've read. If you haven't read The Pilgrim's Progress, then, um, then you, you're delinquent. You have to read it. It's very, very encouraging. If you've read the story, the suffering of Christian didn't end at that point. Right? He has to go through Vanity Fair. He has to go through all these temptations. He has to go through all kinds of trials when people come to stumble him. But they happen after that point. Right? They happen after that, that lightness came when the burden fell off of his back. And so my whole point with this is that we're called to suffer, as the apostle lays out here, um, 
I don't need to, I hope I don't need to prove that from Scripture. It's here. But we can gladly do it. We can gladly suffer because our sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. By his wounds you were healed. Now go about finishing the race. By his wounds you were healed. You have peace with God Almighty. Now, now from here out it's momentary light affliction. Producing an eternal weight of glory. It's just momentary light of affliction. Your true problem has been dealt with. Now go suffer lightly. Go, go, suffer, go suffer terrible things lightly. Right? What lies ahead, what lies ahead for Christians, what lies ahead for you if you are in Christ is the first time in your life where your expectations will be outpaced by reality. Right? You know how all vacations are disappointing because you build them up in your head and then, you know, the kids still poop their pants at the wrong time. What lies ahead will be the first time in our lives where our expectations far, far surpass reality. The glory of being in the presence of God Almighty with our sins forgiven, clothed in his righteousness, ever at rest, without anybody ever or anything to molest us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? It won't compare. There's no comparison. Paul wrote to Timothy, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. The children of God receive eternal glory. And like Jesus, Paul suffered so that others might have that glory. You too. You too. You too, suffering so that others might share in that eternal glory? Or do you more highly value your ease and your comfort? Right? Do you forget what Jesus has gained for you and then find it so hard to output to anybody? You're just forgetting Jesus raised from the dead. So that's my first application. You've been given much, remember it. And gladly suffer for him because of what you've been given in Christ Jesus. Now, circling back, notice what the Apostle Paul says in regard to his imprisonment. For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not imprisoned. Have you read biographies of Christians who have been imprisoned for their faith? If you haven't done that, you've got a second book on your book list for this summer. I can make a few recommendations, but it seems that in many of them, those that are imprisoned, suffering for, um, suffering because of their faith in prison, um, it, it seems in a lot of those situations, a Bible gets smuggled into their prison, and, and then it becomes the most cherished possession that they have. They figure out ways, and, it, it, and it's by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, but they figure out ways to keep it hidden from prison guards and from uh, those that would uh, not want them to have it. As they can, then, the Christians who are imprisoned share God's word with one another 
and truly find out that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even in a few situations where a copy of the Bible is not present, I've read of, I've read of situations where the Christians begin compiling a Bible by memory, just from the snippets that they remember. And however they can record it, they record it just so they have that record. And, and they, they write it down. Uh, and I mean, talk about the importance of memorizing the Bible. Um, they were able to come up with full books of the Bible just through their memory. Uh, though these men and women were in prison, the Word of God was still doing its work, wasn't it? You read of prison guards being like, like the Philippian jailer. You read of prison guards being um, converted. The Word of God cannot be taken away from those who, by the Holy Spirit, had that Word dwelling within them richly. Um, this is a good reason for us to be continuously in the Word because there may be a time, it's almost unimaginable, but it, it's still imaginable or it's becoming imaginable when we may not have easy access to the Word of God, right? I mean, how many people in those situations ever thought that they would, they would be unable to read Scripture, unable to come to the Word of God? And think of this, though the Apostle Paul sits in prison, Timothy does not, right? Paul's in prison, Timothy's not, and we make disciples so that no matter the circumstances, the word of God goes forth to all the world. While Paul can't be in Ephesus, Timothy can, right? So that it is the way of the world to attempt to stamp out dissent by using the sword of the state, right? That's how they try to stamp out dissent. The word of God, because it is truth, is always understood to be a threat to falsehood. It's always understood to be a threat. Whole nations, particularly communist nations, have forbidden people to possess copies of the Bible. But even with all that effort and all that vigilance, the Word of God continues to speak. The Word of God continues to be passed from person to person. The Word of God continues to break through the weakness of prison bars, right? Nothing can hinder God. And God has given his church against which the gates of hell will not overpower his eternal word, the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You might think that that is not a weapon that can be snuffed out or destroyed. There's no weapon like it, is there? It has the power of the omnipotent spirit behind it. To think that men with prisons could stifle its power is to be filled with the amazing delusions of grandeur. Long after all of us are dead and gone and sit um, in the prisons of our own caskets, the word of God will continue to do its work in this world. It will continue to do its work. The, the word of God will continue to testify to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And then the Apostle Paul gives us this, this hymn, this, this poem in, in our passage. It, he writes, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful 
for he cannot deny himself. The first two lines of that poem summarize what I've been trying to to bring home to you. We die and endure with him now, but we will live and reign with him hereafter. Die and suffer with him now, live and reign, reign, seated with him on the throne. This is what it means to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as you suffer illness. If you endure now, you will reign hereafter. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as you suffer the, the relentless monotony of child-rearing. You endure now, you will reign hereafter. Remember Jesus Christ written, risen from the dead as you suffer loneliness. Right? You suffer now, you will reign hereafter. And then Paul brings up the flip side of the coin. And remember the context of the letter. He's struggling, right, with seeing many of the, many of the people who had been with him abandoning him and abandoning the church. So remember that context as we come to this. He, he's seeing people deny Christ, and so he writes, if we deny him, he will also deny us. This denial is contrasted with the first two lines, which are about steadfast endurance. Enduring, 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 and then there's this line about denying, which is not enduring. Right? Denial of Christ is to forget Christ. It is to depart from Christ, as Demas did. It is to hold to falsehoods about Jesus Christ. This is the professing Christian who at some point just finds the world outside of Christ that it offers more immediate help, more immediate comfort, more immediate soothing, more immediate ease. It is the seed that fell on the rocky soil, right? It is the person who tasted something of Christ and then decides that something just tastes bad. Christ will deny that person. Christ will say to that person, depart from me. But what of the last category? What in the last category if we are faithless? The first and most necessary thing to say about this is there is a difference between the one who denies Christ and the one who is faithless. You may think, well, that seems strange. seems like they're the same. The apostles had little faith, right? Or as Jesus says in Mark, after he calmed the winds of the storm, He said to them, do you still have no faith? Not just little faith, but do you still have no faith? Our faith ebbs and flows, doesn't it? One day we feel like we could slay, you know, lions with our bare hands. And then another day, you know, we feel like we could be killed with a blade of grass ourselves, taken down. One day the promises of God fill our minds with delight. We, we cry tears of joy. We, we walk with a skip in our step because we're remembering what God has done for us. And another day, the lies of Satan seem to be filled with the most profound wisdom. One day, our faith is strong, and another day, our faith is weak. But this is not a denial. 
a turning away from Jesus Christ, a leaving of Jesus Christ, a rejection of Jesus Christ. To the faithless, there is this great promise. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Right? That, this is the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. This is the promise that he is mindful that we are but dust. He knows our weakness. Right? God does not break his promises even though our faith is up and down. God is faithful. He will keep everything he said. His, faithful, his faithfulness is not up and down. It is as steady as his eternity. That's what his faithfulness is like. It, it is as stable as his love. Right? I think we could summarize this whole passage in this way. Keep going. The necessary, necessarily faithful God is with you. And he's leading you to his, to his final rest in him. And it will be eternal glory. Right? Keep going. Suffer on. Remembering what God has done and remembering what lies ahead. It allows us to suffer. It allows us to suffer. It allows us to suffer with those who are even imprisoned. It allows us to do... Uh, an extraordinary amount of suffering in this fallen world, this kind of suffering where we fight against our sin, right? Where we fight against it, where where we attempt to hate it as God hates it and fight against it and deny ourselves and live for righteousness and, and suffer just all the ailments of a, of a fallen, fallen world. And, uh, and yet have, great hope and great peace and all those afflictions simply become light. 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 You know? Not heavy. It's not heavy cream. It's skim milk light. Right? Suffering is light. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that as our faith ebbs and flows, as we give ourselves to sin and repent of other sins, as we, as we get lazy and do not uh, put off and put on, Father, that you remain faithful. We thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that, that Paul, though he was imprisoned, was able to rejoice in the fact that the word of God was not imprisoned. And that even though he endured hardship, his mind was set upon the work that had to be done for the gospel and for the growth of the church. Father, we thank you for this. We pray that you would help us to put our suffering in perspective and that that perspective would come from contemplating Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. We pray this in his name. Amen.